are talking about daydreaming. Now we're going to use this uh, series to kind of be a, um, a vehicle to communicate the unique things about Grace Church. Like, what are the the values that we hold so dearly? I mean, what is it that shapes the way we make decisions, the way we do church? And so this morning, the first one I want to talk about is the D word, devotion. The first thing that we care about here at Grace is the word devotion. Now, you know, I'll unpack that as we go on. Let's talk about daydreaming a little bit, though. I was thinking about life the other day. That sounds very deep, doesn't it? I was sitting back with my coffee, purveying all that I could see, thinking deeply about the meanings of life. And the one thing, that, oh gosh, that sounds terrible. What came to me over and over again is how in life we always need something to look forward to. Have you noticed that? You always need something ahead of you. You always need something to, to work for, to desire, to think about, to feel about. You need something. And, um, you know, I've, I've noticed that as people age, there's a, a place in life where the world tries to tell you that you can just sit down, you're done, just relax and enjoy life. Right? Okay. But in this space, I've noticed that the people who do the best the ones who handle that season of life the best are the ones who have something to look forward to, something to think about, something to work towards, something to live for. And see, you know, it's very visible because there's less distractions at that stage of life, but this is the way that all of us are. When I'm beginning to think about the people who are hurting the most, they're the ones who don't have anything to wake up the next morning for. There's no goal, there's, no, there's nothing they're reaching for. That's the word they're reaching. We as humans need something to reach for. Think about your life right now. What are the things that I reach for? What are the things that I mentally, emotionally, physically am reaching for in my life? If the best thing about your life is the weekend, you're hardly living. Did you hear me? The, the worst thing that could happen to us as people is to lose something to hope for, something to dream about, something to work towards. And so, in life, as we go through seasons of life, those dreams change. Those things that we reach for change, right? So in high school, what are you dreaming about in high school? Someone holler it out. Graduation. <laughs> Do what? A, a car. Amen. Freedom, right? You can almost taste it, Correct. And so you think about it, you, you get a job, maybe. Did you get a job to get a car? Okay. Moving on. You, some people get a job to get a car, correct? Because you want that car. So again, you, you can almost feel it. You visualize it. You think about all the places that, that you could go. You could take your friends with you. You think about the car. Something else from high school. Anybody? What? Exactly. A boyfriend or a girlfriend. Right? Like you, you, you're dreaming about picturing the boy or the girl. Who ended up with, the, with that boy or girl? Okay, we'll just move on. Correct? <laughs> she did. Talk about that another day, brother. It's a different story. There are things that you think about, right? And you, it, it emotionally, mentally pulls you through life towards that thing. Okay, what about college? Well, in that age, you don't have to be at college, but what are the things you were thinking about 
at that time of your life. Just the goals, the dreams, the things that you continue are looking forward to. If I can just get there. Oh, freedom. Out of your mama's house. Oh, my goodness gracious. That's a good one. Anybody else? A job? How about that? Okay. Who had this dream job? I'm going to go to school to be this, but it didn't quite work out. All right. All right. But you have that, right? Man, I'm going through all this poop of school, right? So that I can get to this. I'm going to go through school so I can reach this. Okay, you have a goal, and it pulls you through these things. Now, um, you know, again, it continually changes. So as, as the seasons go on, you have different dreams. I want to have children. I want to have a family. I want to have that promotion. I want to have my own business. I want to work for myself. I want to retire and travel. Whatever it is, you have something. But what happens for us is when we lose the thing that we're dreaming for, you, you mentally and emotionally begin to shut down. Think about yourself. Think about the different times in your life. What happened to you when you realized that dream you had was never going to be a reality? When you're in high school and you realize that unlike some people who could have their dream man, you're not going to get the dream man. There's only one of them, right? Oh, stop. What happened when you realized it's not going to happen? Did, did you just die? Or did you find a what? A new dream, right? And so you go through a period of dying. There's, there's a period for us when we lose that dream or we have to find a new dream. And what you'll find in your life, as you look back at your life, the lowest points of your life are when you, you either lost your dream or you had no dream. Just think back in your life. The lowest points in life are when you lost your dream or you had no dream. There was no major thing pulling you forward through life. You're just existing. You're just there. You're just breathing. And so there's something about having dreams which is crucial for us as humans. We need it to be alive, to function, to live. And so what happens is this. When Jesus comes, he begins to teach about this new thing, and he calls it the kingdom. And when he talks about the kingdom, he uses parables. And often when he, t- when he says a parable... He starts like this. He says, the kingdom of God is like. Now, in seminary last year, I learned when he says the kingdom is like, what we're supposed to do is assume that he is about to paint a picture. Just kind of assume that. When he says it is like, he is about to begin to paint a mental image, a dream of what the world is supposed to be like. And so when Jesus begins to talk about what the kingdom itself is, he says the kingdom is like a treasure that's been hidden in a field. Now, who has seen a field before? (laughs) Yes, all hands should go up. It's a test. There's nothing spectacular about a field, okay? There shouldn't be anything spectacular. It's just a field. It's ordinary as all get out, correct? It's just dirt and some weeds and some grass and maybe a few plants. That's it. It's just a field. But the kingdom is like something, a treasure. Now, is a treasure ordinary? Okay, thank you. No, it's not ordinary. So the kingdom is like something extraordinary, something special that's been what? Hidden inside what? Something ordinary. 
Are you seeing this? The kingdom is like something extraordinary that's been hidden inside the ordinary. And for the person who's just walking by casually, when they see it, when they find it, they are willing to give anything for it. Here's the trick about the kingdom of God. You have to see it first. You have to see it. Most of us in this room have yet to really see what Jesus died for. Most of us don't even have a clue yet of why we even do all of this. What is the point of all of this? If you don't see it, it's obvious. But when you find someone in life who's seen it, when you find someone who has just seen the glimpse of what's hidden inside that ordinary, they react in an odd way. When you see someone who has glimpsed the extraordinary nature of what God did in Jesus, you see someone who's willing to give anything to dig that out. When you see someone who has spotted what the kingdom really is like, when you have someone who has caught the kingdom dream, you find someone who is devoted. Devoted, meaning they will give everything for something else. The word devoted, some of the root words of devoted go back to the word for consecrate, meaning to set apart, right? The idea that here's the ordinary and here's the consecrate, here's the set apart, right? Everyone here who just kind of lives life in an ordinary fashion still sees the kingdom of God in an ordinary way. Everyone who has set themselves apart and lives in a different way, meaning they've set their lives apart for one thing, to devote themselves to one thing. Everyone who has seen the treasure in the field is willing to give all of their time, resources, future choices, relationships for that dream. But you have to see it first. This is the way that dreams work. If you don't see it, if it's not real to you, you will not live for it. And the hardest struggle that everyone in this room has with the kingdom of God is this. Everything else in your life is more real than God is. Work is more real. Fights with your spouse are more real. Pain is more real. The bills are more real. Promotions are more real. Hobbies are more real. Everything else is more real than God. You can see and taste and touch those things. And the hardest thing about the kingdom is that it takes having to dig a little bit. You've got to move the ordinary out of the way to see the extraordinary treasure of the kingdom. You have to catch the dream. You have to catch it. What's crazy about dreams is this. The moment that a dream, I put that, dreams are most powerful when they're right outside of our grasp. Meaning, You don't have it yet. It's just right beyond your grip. And so you're convinced that you can have it, but you don't have it yet. That is when dreams have the strongest pull on us. We are willing to to push for it, to to go for it. Okay, who is trying to lose weight this year? I didn't mean, sorry. I shouldn't even try to to raise hands on that one. I mean, honestly, let's let's be honest. Everyone's hand should have gone up, right? Everyone's trying to lose weight this year. When do you try the hardest when it comes to losing weight? 
the first time that you see the scale change. Correct? The first time that you see a little progress. The first time that you see that scale make a major jump. Okay, that's not just water weight. That's weight, baby. That's fat. That came off of my body. I want more of that, right? Pastor Zach, he is just this uh, machine in some ways. But he even has emotions as well. He, he didn't know it. He's one of the most emotional guys in the room. You have no clue about that. But he showed me his progress pictures. And the more that he's noticed himself losing weight, the harder he goes, right? The closer that dream is to grasping it, the harder we will go towards that dream. But it also works the other way, correct? Who has tried to lose weight many times before and failed? Don't raise your hands. It's okay. <laughs> because it has the same effect the other way, correct? You diet so well for one week. You hit the gym and you sweat your butt off for a full week, right? Or maybe even one day. You work so hard and you expect that scale to drop. And you see the scale and it did what? It laughed at you, correct? It just, it just goes the other way. And, you, you know, you're thinking, I just put all this into it, and it just, the dream is that much farther away from me. And so what does it cause you to do? You lose heart, correct? You begin to pull back, and you say, I can't really catch that dream. And so the way that dreams work is this. There is a space for us. It has to be close enough for us to grab it, but far enough away from us where we can't to keep us entertained. It's sick, okay? It's like torture. But that's when we love dreams the most. We are just, oh my goodness. Okay, how about the lottery? Who's played the lottery before? Every story, uh, you know, of Joe Schmo, who just randomly bought a ticket and won, okay, it keeps it, oh, I could just, oh, oh, today could be the day. I could win the lottery, right? But the, but the, but the more you do it, it, just gets, you get it. See, the kingdom is this way as well. See, I've noticed when someone catches a glimpse of Jesus in the kingdom and what could possibly be with, with God, if God is really like Jesus, if this is really what's possible, if prayer actually works, if I obey God, He could show up for me, if, if I could offer my life to, to, take, to help people and to love people, if I could do these things, if that's real, I could do it. It's right outside my grasp. And it's the same way because the moment that we begin to experience the realities, we get so excited. But there's the inverse as well. There are times when that idea, the kingdom, begins to look so impossible. It's just, that won't ever really happen. I won't really ever go to church with people who I can really trust. That's just a pipe dream. I won't really ever, you know, have true friends. I won't really be able, and it just goes on and on and on. And there's something about the kingdom to where it's so beautiful when you see it, you're willing to die for it, but it just drifts. And when it gets too far away, we do the same thing with that dream that we do with all dreams. We trade it out for another. I'm going to just trade that out for something else. See, there's people in the room right now who have had some of your most passionate dreams in your life. You've chosen to hide them in a box for a while, to lock them in the closet, because they just got so outside of your reach. The more you thought about it, the more you tried about it, and when you began to really put effort, you just saw it floating away from you, and you've decided, no, I think that's just, I need to trade it, I need to trade it from a more realistic dream. See, now there's something about daydreamers. 
Daydreamers are not known for being people who get it done. How about that? See, now I'm a pastor. Now, my personality type, okay, Myers-Briggs guys, has anyone taken that test? Okay. The INFJ is one of the biggest dreamers in all of the types. That's what we live for is to dream. That's why I'm a pastor. My life exists to do the impossible, pretty much. There's no chance that what I exist for will actually happen, but it's just close enough that I'll just chase that carrot for the rest of my life. There's something wrong with, with daydreaming because we look at it and we say, Daydreaming is foolish. Daydreaming is, is childish. Did you guys ever have a friend, or were you that person in school who was always just kind of scribbling out things? You always had pictures or something? You know, the, the, you know, the teacher's talking about you know, algebra, and you, you know, you're sitting there drawing who knows what, right? You're just in a different world. There's something about daydreaming that takes us to a different world. You can be walking through a hallway. You can be at work. You can be functioning and not even be present. Have you ever had something that, that so tied up your thoughts and emotions that it was almost, it was, it was a struggle to be present? Have you ever had that? A goal, a dream, a possibility, an idea, something so powerful that you could hardly even be the place where your feet were. You're walking, you're moving, but you are mentally, emotionally some places. Have you ever experienced that before? Have you ever been daydreaming before? Three people, Awesome. Had some very practical people this morning. That's good. See, what you have to understand is this. To be a Christian is to commit your life to daydreaming. Everything about the kingdom of God is unrealistic. To expect people to live their entire life, not for themselves, but for others. That sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Is that realistic? Out of this room, do you think we could find 10 people to live together for one week and they would do everything for the good of everyone else, not for themselves? Every, yeah. Amen. The spirit of truth in the house. There we go. Laughter. That is unrealistic. Everything about the kingdom picture is unrealistic. It's, it's pipe dreams, baby. Following Jesus is committing to live an unrealistic, unplausible, silly life. The Scriptures say that the gospel itself, that in Christ, that the wisdom of God, it's seen as foolishness to the world, a stumbling block to the Jews. It should be seen as foolishness. Why in the world would you believe that and live that way? But see, the way it works is this. To follow Christ is to commit to the dream, is to, to allow the, the dream of what could possibly be to consume your life, to consume you. Now see, we have to understand something. Most of you have been taught a Christianity that is about compliance. You know what the word compliance mean, right? Like, okay, to comply is to, to do what you're told. How about that? Does that work? To meet the standard. Here's the standard, and I want compliance, okay? I want you to meet the standard. I want you to, to submit to what I want you to do. Most of you have been taught the kingdom of God is about compliance, okay? The kingdom of God is this. You are a sinner, and you need to repent so that you comply. You sin no longer so that you make the bar so that you go where? Heaven. Now, I would 
challenge anyone in this room to read the Gospels this week and find out how many times Jesus talks about that. And I want you to compare it to how many times Jesus talks about this word kingdom. And then we'll have a talk. Jesus comes and he preaches something a little bit different than what you've heard in most churches. He preaches the kingdom. And this kingdom has this very interesting kind of an idea to it. The idea is this. When I come into a kingdom, I have to submit. And the idea is kneeling, correct? I have to submit to the king and I take on this king's authority. I have now given my allegiance to this place. I have now given my devotion to this person. I am now fully devoted here. I'm not just compliant. I am fully devoted. See, this is a relational interaction. So what happens here is this. Understand that most of us have been taught about compliance. Here's the thing. Most of you heard a gospel about compliance because here's the reason. Because the kicker was fear. How many of you were taught repentance because of consequences? Repent or correct? Repent or burn forever. Now, it, now, if you are even somewhat convinced of this, for your own self, you know, good, you should comply. I would not want my skin to burn for eternity, correct? But here's something problem with fear. Fear is able to breed compliance, but fear cannot create devotion. Fear can create compliance. Fear can get you to do what I want you to do. But fear cannot get you to trust me, to devote your life to me. There's a difference here. And see, the kingdom of God is about devotion. It's about fully trusting and leaning and giving everything I have, not out of fear of punishment alone, but out of this desire to give. I am being caught up in this dream, in this person. And, 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 and here's the first dream of Christianity. Here's the first dream. What if God is like Jesus? Hear me. What if God is like Jesus? <laughs> and there's some smart butts going, well, Jesus is God too. Yes, I know. But what if the revelation of God and Jesus, what if God really behaves and looks and acts and feels this way towards us? What if that is true. See, all dreams start with this. All dreams start with, what if? What if I got that job? What if I got that man? What if? What if? And when Jesus begins to paint these pictures of the kingdom, when he says the kingdom God is like, he's really saying like this, what if the world worked this way? What if a king ruled not by using force to get compliance? What if a king ruled by giving his life so he could get devotion? What if a king lived and, and gave his, all of his riches to the people instead of taking the riches from the people? What if a king had a world where there was no death anymore? What if there was a world where there was no sickness anymore? What if there was a world where there was no hate or rape or violence anymore? What if? And then everyone who's practical says, yeah, well, that's unrealistic. You better believe it. So was a dead man rising from the dead. That's the entire point. The dream is tied up in the person. And for us, as Christians, we are supposed to get lost in the dream in Jesus. We're supposed to look at this ordinary-looking person. He looks and breathes and talks and eats and does other things that people do. 
Okay, you got me. Oh, okay. Well, you know, food comes in, food goes out. It looks ordinary, but there's something extraordinary. There's something on the surface that looks like everything else, but if you look beneath the surface, it's not like anything else. And if I see it, I will give anything for it. You don't have to force me into it. You don't have to scare me into it. If I see it, I'll give everything for it. Devotion. There's no one in this room as a Christian who was called to live a life of repentance alone. No one in this room was called to live a life of compliance to God. You as a Christian are called to live a life of devotion. And that bar is a scary bar. Because, see, there are a lot of you in the room who have complied. You've said the sinner's prayer. You go to church every once in a while. You serve every once in a while. You fit God into your life. You've complied. You've met the standard. There are few people in this room who live a life of devotion. Everything that is mine is yours. Everything that is mine is yours. That man who finds a treasure in a field, he gives what for it? One Sunday every five weeks. I'll serve twice a month. I'll tithe every once in a while. Read my Bible in January whenever I also try to lose weight. Amen. I'll comply. No. The man who finds a treasure gives what? Everything. Everything for it. Here's the problem. I am not trying to twist your arm to obey God more. See, I'm not trying to use fear or guilt to twist you. Here's what I'm telling you. If you're not living a life of devotion, here's the problem. You haven't seen it yet. You're still looking at the field going, cool, hey, that song was pretty cool. That beat was nice. Hey, that sermon has, you know, there's like three good jokes in there. That was good, you know. Whatever. You haven't seen it yet. Sure, I'll be nice to people. You're missing it. It's not my job to twist your arm to follow Jesus. It's my job to get better at painting the picture so that you see it. If you could just see it, you would give everything for it. The first foundation of this church is devotion. Christians are not called to salvation. Christians are called to devotion. The word is allegiance in the Scriptures. When you said your prayer of salvation, which we shouldn't even call it the prayer of salvation, you guys all said this. You guys said these two things from Romans, right? If you, if you, if you believe in your heart that the Father raised His Son from the dead, and you do what? You confess with your mouth that what? Jesus is my Savior. Right? Did you guys pray that? No, you didn't. You prayed, Jesus is my what? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one who I give my devotion to. Jesus is the one who I give my life to. And of course, when Jesus teaches about, you know, when the actual king teaches about it, he says, well, if anyone come after me, if you would just give me a couple things here and there, you know, it would be good. If anyone who would come after me, meaning be my follower, be mine, be a Christian, they would, they would do what? Deny themselves well, let's just do this. He uses that, that awesome symbol of a cross. Beautiful symbol, isn't it? We love to put it all over the places. It's, it's cool, right? Yeah, awesome. He uses a symbol of torture. Anyone who would follow me would surely deny themselves daily and, oh yeah, put themselves on this cross willingly for me. Sounds like compliance, right? Hey, Amen. 
Here's the first foundational stone of this church. Christ called us to more. Period. I will not be a pastor to twist your arm to follow Jesus. I will not twist your arm to give, to serve, to grow up, to read the Scriptures. I will not. I will be here in any way that you need me to be here for you. But I will always be telling you, you're missing it. There's more. If you're not living a fully devoted life to Jesus, it's not because you're this terrible person. It's because you haven't seen it yet. You've been looking all all other places you haven't seen because to see it, you have to kind of scoot the ordinary off. You kind of got to move the dirt a little bit to find the treasure hidden. Jesus looks really ordinary. There's all sorts of great songs we can sing. It's awesome. But when you see it, you will give everything for it. And that's the first thing that we need to do as Christians. We need to realize that we need to see it. We need to see it. And so the question for us this morning is this. Are you dreaming? Are you dreaming? What is it in your life that moves you forward? What pulls you through life? What is that next goal? What is it that you are extending to grab? Is it that next promotion? Is it, is it that hobby you want to get that next boat or that next, you know, gun? I don't know what it is. What is it you're living for? What are you dreaming for? What is it that's right outside your grasp that gets you to wake up in the morning with energy, with intention? What are you living for? And you can still keep those little dreams, but here's the issue. Are you living devoted to God? If you are not, it's because your dream is not Him. Your dream is not Jesus. Your dream is not the kingdom. You need to see it. And the best way to see it is to get around someone else who sees it. If you don't see it, the best thing to do is to find someone who does. Have you ever been with someone like, I don't know, um, when, when, when you go to like a new city, you go to a museum, you go out in the woods, and someone goes, hey, look at that. Yes, have you experienced this? Every human should nod. Yes. Someone has said to you in your entire life, hey, look at that, correct? Okay, and at first you didn't see it? Okay, so what do you do? They're pointing normally, right? Hey, look at that. And a few people go, hey, look at that. You know, Hey, look at that. And you try to get near to them to look where they're pointing, correct? If you don't see it, get around people who do. It's, it's the best tip I can give you. The Scriptures are tremendous. Prayer is powerful. But the easiest, fastest way to get it, get around people who do. Get around them. What do you see that I don't see? Why do you devote more than I devote? It's not trying to imitate them. It's trying to see what they see. Because if you would just see it, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And the person who sees it will give anything, anything to have it. But the person who doesn't will just walk right by it. 